I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Today's guest is an actress and writer who found herself thrust into the spotlight for all the wrong reasons. In 2018, Rebecca Humphreys' toxic five-year relationship ended when her boyfriend, who was appearing on Strictly Come Dancing, was splashed across the front pages of tabloids snogging his dance partner. He had repeatedly called her nuts when she questioned where he was that night, which also happened to be her birthday. Rebecca's dignified response is the stuff of Twitter legend. This whole business has served to remind me that I'm a strong, capable person who is now free and no victim, she wrote on the platform shortly after the news broke. I have a voice and will use it by saying this to any woman out there who deep down feels worthless and trapped with a man they love. Believe in yourself and not your instincts. Despite everything, I hope he gets what he wants from this. I'm not sorry I took the cat, though. Now Rebecca has written a book about what she learned from the experience. Why Did You Stay? A memoir about self-worth is... It's going to be... A, it's just... I'm going to swear already. It's going to be an absolute fucking classic. It's a required reading for all women and men. And I believe it's going to be the book of 2022. Rebecca Humphreys, welcome to Mad World. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. What an introduction. Oh my God. Um, I, I almost forgot to ask the question, which I have to ask everyone who comes on this. It's getting a bit dated now. Um... <laughs> People are like, yes, we know. How are you really? Well, I mean, I feel pretty galvanised after having heard that, to be honest. But in general, I mean, I've just moved back to London from the Cotswolds where I was for a year to kind of stave off the urge to go out every single night when I had a book to write. Yeah. And now I'm back in London, I'm back in East London and it just feels great. I feel home again. At the same time, I'm also holding in my other hand this kind of feeling that I've got. I sometimes describe it as like, do you remember the the ghost of Christmas future and Muppet's Christmas Carol? Yeah, you know, the yeah. scary bony one who like <laughs> points at things in the distance. I've kind of got that. Sometimes I look out of the corner of my eye and he's standing right behind me. And what he's pointing at is the book. <laughs> but it's, it's honestly fantastic. And I read it and then I don't have my copy with me because I passed it on to someone in my life who is much older than me. They're in their 70s. But, you know, it it, it was as applicable to her as it is to me in my 40s and as it will be to women in their teens, 20s, 30s and throughout. That's so amazing to hear because, of course, I just wanted to write something that felt really authentic to me. 
And I hear this time and time again from different well, actually, especially women, because I think there's something about us at the moment that really wants to step into our authenticity. And Daisy May Cooper said something quite similar, actually, who I love, which was about just wanted to tell the story of me and what I wanted to do. And the more specific it got, I just had this faith that it would appeal to more people, mm. even though it's not actually an identical story. But these themes are so universal, clearly. I mean, they clearly are. Well, I mean, because the central thing of it, obviously, is not a universal experience whereby your boyfriend is doing the Paso Doble. That is not a euphemism. Well, it is a euphemism, (laughs) turns out, every week. Talk to me about, because the the question, why did you stay? It was sort of directly asked to you straight after everything. So let's go right back to, I suppose, what that is, October 2018. Yeah, yeah. So... The events were kind of, uh, the the events, I'll pinpoint them. So October 3rd, there I am at home. That's my birthday and doesn't come home. I say something inappropriate is going on here and this feels not right. Note the word feels not right. Like in this relationship for such a long time that actually I just wasn't sure whether this was okay for him to not be there anymore. I'd been so accustomed to disappointment, but also like, disregarding my own feelings about my own sadness to do with all these little insidious things over the years that by the time there I am on my birthday I'm like I have a feeling this isn't okay but I can't be sure yeah you don't trust yourself (laughs) don't trust myself and so that's the night that I call say this is inappropriate he says you're you know a psycho for thinking that and then comes home cut to Three days later, we're there in the Strictly car park. and After the show. After the show. So it's just finished. She's just done this absolutely amazing Paso Doble, not a euphemism, with his dance partner, Katia. And it's brilliant. I'm in the audience. I'm crying. You know, suddenly this big old camera's wheeled in front of my face because I'm showing this huge emotional display about, well, you know, of pride with my boyfriend. And we're in the car park and he says the son have got pictures of me and Katia kissing. And I just had this huge wash. I describe it in the book, and I've described it to anyone that's ever asked me, um, of like a white light just going through my body and me going, oh, you're not good enough for me. Mm. And you never have been. Great, right, well, now the work begins on myself. You know, it was, it was, it, it, it sounds as I say it, a bit trite and like I'm making it up, but I swear to you, it was really like a a completely, it's like a self-renovation in that moment almost. Mm. So that happens, front pages the next day, getting called up by all these journalists and whatever, emails in my inbox, don't know how they got my personal stuff, but sure, they find a way. And everyone's asking me for comment and everyone's saying X amount of money, uh, these guys are going to be on the front pages the next day or they're going to have their opportunity. So it stands to reason that you should have yours too. And we just want to help you. you know? Oh my we God, just wanna, classic journalist. We just, yeah, just want to make sure that you're represented and that you're, you know, you're part of this conversation because, you know, it's only fair. And I'm there going, okay, sure, <laughs> right. And of course, you know, all this money's like being flashed in front of me. But I've worked long enough in this industry to know that as soon as that exchanges then they own my words. They own what it is that I have to say. It's not your story It's not my story. But I did know that I want to say something. 
so the next day when tweets came out from Sean and from Katia, and Katia mentioned her husband, and Sean never mentioned me, and it really hurt. And I just had this sense that I was going to be eradicated from this story in the same way that I kind of felt like in that relationship, I was almost eradicated there too. Mm. So it became really important for me to go, oh no, I need to be assertive about who I am in this and what I feel and these revelations that have come out in 24 hours about what my relationship actually was like. Thank God for friends Mm. because there they are talking to me going, oh, this sounds like control. This sounds like gaslighting. And I was like, it is that, isn't it? I'd never spoken about it before. Like when I was in the relationship, as I know now to be really common, I'm like, oh God, it is that. And therefore I need to assert myself and who I am for me because I have a voice. And so the next day I did that and then the rest is history really. It's sort of, it's sort of doing that sort of changed my life in a way because it, not because suddenly I had a public profile or because suddenly everyone was interested in what I had to say, but because I was inundated with validation mm-hmm. and I had no choice but to look in the mirror and go, people actually, you know, listen to you when you are authentic. And maybe it's that authenticity that did that. So the book is, you know, it is, it kind of, the starting point is that moment, but mm. it is, it's about so much more than that, you know? Yeah. It's about how we grow up as women with these kind of, this very kind of limited view of love, really. Absolutely. And yeah. Quite dangerous, actually, in some respects, I think. Well, yeah, there's this bit that I, oh, there's so much, I've got so many questions for you. <laughs> But it's about how we we basically have normalised quite, you know, we we have normalised emotional abuse quite a lot of the time. Yeah, I think so. I think about these narratives or rather almost sound bites that I heard time and time again during my relationship that I would feed myself to justify my staying there. Relationships are complicated. Mm-hmm. Love takes work. You know, the, like relationships, it's not its not a party, it's a relationship. These things, you know, take time and compromise. And all of this stuff, that actually, it meant that when I was being treated or allowing myself to be treated, it's really important for me to word it in that way, allowing myself to be treated in certain ways, I'm the one going, but this is what relationships take And I did it for such a long time. And I look back on my life, which is why the book also contains so many episodes and chapters that have to do with my life even before I met this person, because I've always done it. I've always made really complex, really difficult scenarios normalised to my own detriment time and time again. It's really interesting because the bit where you describe when you first get together and Mm. it's like this sort of whirlwind and it happens really quickly. Now, as a 41-year-old woman who has experienced those sort of, you know, intense, immediate relationships, I now, and it's taken me till till, till I'm this old to realise that that's a a bit of a fucking red flag. Do you know what I mean? It's such a red flag. But also, here's the twist. It's also super hot. (laughs) But we've been told it's super hot. And we've been told that that is what love is. You're swept off your feet. I mean, with centuries of conditioning of this, right? I think that there's something like... I think about Disney films and I think about, you know how in in Snow White, 
she's just lying there and, and like when she's dead at the end and he comes and kisses her they don't say a word to each other he literally just picks her up and she's gone and all the dwarves are waving like bye have a nice life <laughs> and like and also I think it's in it's in Sleeping Beauty I think that I read somewhere that she has something like seven lines in her own film what? Where, yeah where she's not singing she's got like seven lines of dialogue in okay. this film you're such an actress you know that you've noticed <laughs> that like I love that I know she's number one on the call sheet and yeah <laughs> but no voice. but this is what I mean these are these stories that are all literally about being picked up and carried off into a man's life and slotting into it as, just as slotting seamlessly fit. in yeah exactly exactly I mean I could talk about Disney all day and the you know impact it's had on the way that I view love and romance but that I mean romance is quite a key word in that actually isn't it because that's what we're taught it is romance equates to things moving too quickly because you're in this kind of wild hedonistic space that feels amazing you're getting love bombed which is something that we're only really waking up to quite recently, which is like these showers of attention and affirmation and gifts in some instances, running away to Rome or Paris for a weekend or, you know, wherever it may be. Actually, it's like that's happening because this person kind of even needs something from this relationship that is missing in them. So they're kind of grabbing onto whatever it is that you have to try and fill the void in them, the hole in the soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it's about, it's something that, you know, starts to become slightly more sinister, which is about you abandoning your life and then them being in control of you. Yeah. And really, when you think about it, I mean, I've since learned a lot from that circumstance. And I know now, oh, I also have to not be looking for that. I also have to be complete and whole how I am so that these things, because there's a version of this, of course, where someone goes, we've only known each other for two weeks, move in with me, where you go, no. <laughs> where you go, actually, I really like my life yeah. and should I love living here. Yeah, should we just see where this is going? Like, I'm, I'm sort of enjoying it. There's that. So there's also the bit of me that went, yes, straight away because of what it is that I'm missing, that I've never been told really to nurture and to work on but stories are so powerful aren't they you know and that that thing of having the kind of the beginning the middle and the happy ending is is such a kind of seductive thing for us and i I know and i've fallen for it too on numerous (laughs) occasions but there's there's this also there's this really really brilliant bit in the book where you talk about us basically being collectively gaslit by popular culture mm. and you talk about little mo in eastenders yeah who's yeah like my cultural benchmark for abuse yeah, in totally. a relationship and it's and it's violence and of course that is what domestic abuse is but it isn't just that absolutely not and i as well i kind of i'm i'm a textbook libra right so i see everything from both sides mm-hmm. always you know that has to do with what I'm talking about in terms of this book, but also in terms of what you're saying, which is pop culture presents this kind of extreme version of what abuse looks like. I think about, yeah, Little Mo from EastEnders, and I think about Olivia Colman in Tyrannosaur, you know, the best film I'll never watch again. And, you know, Angela Bassett in What's Love Got To Do With It, telling Tina Turner's story. And they're these huge... Yeah, and, and colour purple, stuff like that. These huge, obviously completely valid stories. But there's nothing in pop culture that actually gives you any kind of warning of what emotional abuse looks like. And I'll tell you why. Because it would be a really long-running TV show. Mm. Because it's 
it creeps up on you and suddenly you find yourself in a situation where you feel trapped and yet you can't quite piece together the fragments because they've happened over a number of years. It's a bit like I was talking to my agent yesterday. I'm in this show called 10% oh, right, on, I was, on I, Amazon. She's legendary, isn't it? Oh, oh thank you so much. <laughs> she's such a weirdo, my character. Anyway. I love it. You're so, <laughs> she's so brilliant. It's Julia. Julia, yeah, yeah. Um, but my agent called me up and we were having a conversation about it. And he goes, well, the thing about it is, is what's so interesting is they sort of didn't really go into the takeover of the agents because when a, an agency gets taken over, like there's so much paperwork and there's so much to do. And like, they didn't really delve into that. And I was like, yeah, because it'd be fucking boring. <laughs> like, that's not telly. Yeah. A whole episode on the, pa- the administrative... Yeah, imagine that about what an administrative nightmare this is. <laughs> to take over an like, agency. That's shit telly. But also, I think that there's been there's something in that about why people haven't been making these shows. I mean, I can't imagine that I'm the first person in the world to think about making a show about something like this. But I imagine that stuff has had to be amped up because what it is that we ingest has to be so powerful so mm. quickly because these stories are told in such a short space of time. Mm. And I'm hoping that's changing as we're finding more interesting narratives, especially female-led narratives. I mean... Yeah. Let's talk about the fact that up until, you know, really Fleabag, yeah. no one was actively in pursuit of female stories. But even then, do you remember there was uh, that amazing, is it Sarah Solomani? Solomani, she wrote a brilliant piece in a newspaper that unfortunately is not The Telegraph called The Guardian. And uh, But she wrote about how she had, she'd written a comedy drama about a woman yeah. and she took it to a network and they were like, oh no, we sorry, we've got you know, it's a bit too like We've Fleabag. Got this. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, well, but hang on, it's, it, you know, that's, and that's, that was like the woman box ticked. ticked. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy how that works. I think that now women are getting, quite, I mean, thank God, really insistent about that. Mm. And exactly, I mean, Sarah's found her voice elsewhere that was able to amplify herself and her opinions, thank God. And now that's happening. I mean, it's really interesting because I think that. That always kind of happens. People kind of catch on to something and it becomes a bit of a vibe and a bit of like a trend. Yeah. And then the trend settles and then it just becomes normal. And I'm really hoping that that's what's happening at the moment with women's stories. Yeah. And queer stories as well. There was something about that that I think is happening too with stuff like Heartstopper that's finding a way to not make queer narratives just about having AIDS or about the darkness that comes with it. It's also about the beauty and the joy of those experiences in the same way that Fleabag for a while, it meant that only stories of like hurt and woe were right. Funny stories, of course, but those were the ones that were being told. And now it's like, oh, no, we actually want to see all kinds of female narratives. You yeah, know. yeah. And um, but tell me, so the little Mo thing that really that really resonated. Did you watch that at the time? I do remember watching it. Yeah, at the time. yeah, yeah. And I remember, you know, my first ever relationship, and I've written about this, and it was was abusive, and it only occasionally was violent, but that was enough. But I also remember, um, no, I was about nineteen, and I think I was about twenty one when I finally broke, like, managed to leave, and I remember. He was very charming, incredibly Mm. handsome, very funny, you know, all of that kind of classic. But I remember someone very close to me 
when I told them like the extent of what it had been like, they were like, yeah, but you are a bit, you know, you are a bit mad, aren't you? Oh, okay. And I was like... How disappointing. And, and, but I internalised that for a long time. And we're still seeing that now. Like if you look at, say, like the Depp versus Heard stuff going on, yeah. where one side is using the other side's apparent mental illness as almost like justification for the violence, which they readily admit to. I find that deeply uncomfortable. This sort of still this narrative that it's our fault. We lead we lead people to behaving that way, you know? Totally. I also, you know, I'm conscious of what I'm about to say because I haven't been following the Depp and Heard case really closely for all sorts of reasons, mainly because I'm quite conscious of developing an opinion for the sake of having an opinion. Mm. And that's definitely not something that I want to do. I also think it's quite healthy sometimes to not have one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also not to have to watch stuff that's actually quite triggering yeah, and yeah, d- yeah. disturbing. Totally. Like life is really too short. Yeah, quite. But I hear what you're saying entirely, which is I've always been too much. Always, since I was a kid, I've always been, by which I mean, I've always been identified as being someone that is too much. I don't think I am too much now, but it's always been show off, too much, boisterous, loud, too, like quite loud, loud for a girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, that vibe. You really touched on that brilliantly in the book. Yeah, exactly. And so by the time I get into the relationship and I hear those words coming out of the person who loves me, what's my, what am I going to think? I'm going to think, yeah, he's right. I am. And that has so much to do with exactly what we were talking about, which is the conditioning of women and young girls leading up to these points in relationships where suddenly it just, it just feels like everything's slotting into place. Does that make sense? But it also feels like we have this very kind of strange notion that people who have experienced abuse, they have to be, we have to, they have to be a certain way. Certain type of woman. Likeable. You know, we have to really, like, I don't have to like some, like, I I saw a friend of mine was saying this the other day, like, someone gets burgled. You you don't, like, do an assessment of their character. (laughs) You're like, they've been burgled. The police don't go, oh, well, we'll investigate this because are you a nice person or are you a bit of an asshole? Yeah. And yet with abuse, that happens all the time. It's like, I don't have to like Amber Heard. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. But, like, I do listen to her. I will have to listen to what she has to say. Completely. I'm so glad that you touched on that about being a certain kind of person that fits the mould of being an abuse victim because that is literally why I wrote this, which has to do with... I remember in the pitch for my book, which I was sending off to agents, you know, before I even had an agent or a publisher or anything. One of the things I wrote, you know, you're trying to be really clever in these things and like trying to look like a good writer. And then I was like, no, I'm just going to be really real here. And I went, today, today, in capital letters, I have been on the phone to two very close friends who are successful, super sexy, have things to say and just really self who I would, you know, recognise as self-aware women who are caught in toxic cycles and have absolutely no idea how to get out or that it isn't normal. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, you know, it happens all the time. I see it constantly from close friends who even know about my situation and mm-hmm. know exactly what happened with me. So there's so much work to do on that, on going, really, we're all susceptible and it's... It's it's getting this conversation more into the mainstream that is going to help because, you know, the biggest threat that 
faces humanity is unconsciousness. Mm. So all these people living their lives and being in love and not realising that like love is hard but love shouldn't hurt. Yes, and sort of acting on stuff that happened to them when they were very little (laughs) that they don't even remember. Yeah, totally. But it's also, I can't boil it down to a book just about a memoir about toxic love, self-worth, but it's also a book about friendship and a book about the love that is all around us Mm. that we don't we often are we're completely blind to and we don't absorb we you know we look in the you know that classic thing of like i can't believe i'm about to say this I'm just like shoot me rebecca i can't wait but like the you know we look for love in all the wrong places yeah there's a particular it wasn't so bad well thanks <laughs> there's a particular passage in it that really um moved me when i read it and i asked you ahead of time if you would read it out is that okay? yeah i'll read it out yeah is that all right yeah i'm sorry if it's crap i've never actually read this out loud before also just for context for everyone so this is just after all the news has broken and rebecca has moved out of the flat she shares with him i can't be bothered to name him um i don't know if legally i'm allowed to but whatever that bloke and you're taken in by friends who create this like beauty they like got they do up the spare room yeah, they the make attic, it lovely yeah. they just like and your friends just come around you and they just hold you through it. They show up. They totally show up. So here we go. All right. I think about my mum chucking those papers in the bin. My dad not calling all day long, even though I know he's probably desperate to, just because I'd asked him not to. All those texts and calls from people I hadn't seen in weeks, months, letting me know that if I need anything, to talk, to cry, to get me some of the nice bread I like, they're there. From people I don't even know, tagging me on Twitter, hoping that I'm all right. What if I have gotten love all wrong? What if I've been slaving away, reaching my arm in to prize words and feeling out of the mouth of someone who just didn't have it in them, not for me? I've been treating love like a noun, like a trophy I won ages ago and have left to gather dust in a cabinet. But in every single one of those instances today, love has been a verb, an action, And not an action that requires Herculean effort either. Take up here now. Love is floating around serenely like feathers in this quiet space. The space two floors above the room where last night my mate Jim got up from the sofa and took a taxi to Shepherd's Bush to pick me up from the floor. Love is all around me. God, I wish that wasn't a wet, wet, wet song. (laughs) It drains it of all profundity. (laughs) I wanted, I like, I took a screenshot of it and I... I was like, I just, it's one of those things that I need to like file away in my pocket and (laughs) remind myself of, you know, because it is that thing of being hardwired. And there's another bit where you talk about you go, you go away for a weekend with this, you know, handsome guy who has like a canal boat in France. (laughs) But he's a bit, he's a bit fucked up too. And yeah, and you go away and you're like, people are like, oh, does anything happen? Did anything happen? And you're like... And you, I mean, I've written this down. But can I, I'll read this out. It's not as good as what you... Yeah, go on. <laughs> Something occurs to me on the Eurostar home that if I was told a story of a single woman alone with a rugged outdoorsy Mr. Bear Grylls Poldark Darcy who fixes things and cooks hearty meals and doesn't feel the cold... I would want her to have sex with him, even if I knew she was fragile and some of the things I'd been told about him were borderline toxic. Even if I'd been told time and time again the relationship between them was platonic, I would still have willed for a spark of something more. I am hardwired to want more when what is there is enough. Yeah, it's true. It's exactly what happens. I got back and I said to my mate, she went, did you shag him? (laughs) 
And I went, no, we're just friends, I've told you. And she was like, oh. Do you know what I mean? It was that kind of vibe. And it's exactly right. I've been hardwired to want more and what there is is enough. Even from, even from my own friends, I think that happens when you have a breakup with someone. You look around at your single friends and you're like, oh, have the tectonic plate shifted at all? And it's like, why am I doing that? Mm. I'm doing that because, you know, I've been taught that being single is a holding bay. And now it's my job to sort of snaffle out eligible bachelors, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. From, from everywhere. Well, actually, no. I have never been taught to value the love I have for the people around me when it isn't romantic or sexual. Yeah, yeah. And I just really want to make a point about that. So I'm very, very glad that you put it up on it. Um, it really, it just, it filled me with love. I wondered if there's any words for someone listening to this who what you've said has resonated with them and perhaps there are elements of a relationship they're in that they think might be abusive. I think it's a really interesting thing because we have, again, this kind of notion, like, I think there are people, you know, we have this notion of people are either good or they're bad, but actually we're all a bit of a mixture, aren't we? And, yeah. you know, sometimes we do bad things and sometimes we we behave abusively. Like yeah, that, completely. And, and, you know, I, I'm sure that your ex-partner is, you know not a bad person he's an unwell hurt person hurt people hurt people totally hurt people hurt people yeah exactly and I say that in the chapter about little Mo as well where I talk about none of us have been given a a guidebook on what a toxic relationship looks like it's the same for people who perpetrate abuse as well I think I mean Certainly, in my instance, I've definitely behaved, I should say, in ways that I'm absolutely not proud of. Mm. And there is no clear representative in pop culture of what that the nuance, the Mm. nuance of what these relationships are and of good people acting out of their feelings Mm. and being triggered and behaving in ways that they're not proud of either. There's a culture of sweeping things aside and starting again. And as we're moving on in life, we're sort of realising that actually, no, what we really need and what's really important is to have this conversation, especially with young people, to go, okay, these these are ways that it's not okay to behave in relationships Mm. and this is what you should look out for because you're worth more than that. And that's what it comes down to, being worth more. Yeah. But I suppose to answer your question about... What would you say? To, yeah, what would I, I say? don't think I even asked the question properly. <laughs> I just went. A bit, a bit, a bit. Well, I've kind of had it in my head because I'm obviously quite nervous about imparting one thing in particular. Because, I mean, God, have you seen this? It's a chunky book. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a lot to say. You know, I suppose that the thing that I would have wanted to hear would be, I get it, and I get that it's really hard, and I get that it probably changes all the time and it's really easy to luxuriate in the moments where it doesn't feel like it's abusive and that makes it even sadder when it does feel like it is but I thought that if I left my life would be even worse and it was the exact opposite. I mean we have to talk about this because I, you know, when I see the trajectory of your <laughs> life since that relationship ended, it makes me really happy. Like, we met quite soon after. Yeah, we did. Yeah. And uh, it made you come and run naked, not naked, but almost naked, through <laughs> the streets of London. It, was, it wasn't naked. <laughs> but, <laughs> okay. like, it makes me so happy to see how successful 
you have gone on to be once you you know like and you know and, and that sort of karma do you know what I mean like you're in 10% you were cast in the crown mm. there you know this book there are there other things you can tell us about not really no okay <laughs> she's a fucking star guys <laughs> but we'll take that as enough for now but I yeah I mean it is a truth universally acknowledged that the second that you step away from something that's eating you up that's the second that you start to fly really I've seen it happen time and time again with people who have suddenly acknowledged, have been much braver than me, by the way, who've acknowledged that this wasn't working and chosen to leave because it wasn't enhancing their life. And, I mean, I had to wait until, essentially, like, the house was burned down, you know what I mean, before I walked away from it. And in every single instance, those people, that's when their life started. And... It's absolutely true of me, completely. Everything in my career, but also to do with who I am, started that day that I stood up for myself on social media and used my voice in the way that I had been craving to use it for about five years. And really, that's, that's, that's that. Is that. That's it. It has so much to do, I think, truly. And I say as well, I've said before, the best thing you can do is to write a journal. If especially if you are having a difficult experience, you write a journal and then it becomes your document of how you overcame that. Mm. And it's a gift to your future self because if you're ever having a difficult moment, you can look back on that time and go, look what I overcame and look what I'm capable of. I mean, that's why I've got this tattoo and I write about that in the book as well. I just wanted it imprinted somewhere on my body that goes, oh, you did that. And you got through that and you sort of owned it and you owned the narrative for yourself. So you've got that in you somewhere. So you can probably do that again. This too will pass. Things change. Things yeah. shift. It's a circle. It's a circle, yeah. It's a circle. It has to do with being whole. You're amazing. Rebecca, uh, thank you so much for coming on Mad World. It's a pleasure to see you. The book, Why Did You Stay, is incredible and most of all it's just wonderful to see you rise and rise and rise and I know you're going to continue to rise and I know you're going to be part of the British publics you know you're going to be knitted into the fabric of our I feel like you're going to become like a sort of national treasure I knew you were going to say national treasure and I have been waiting to bask in the glory of that (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you're going to be on our screens for a very 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 long time oh that's such a lovely very dramatic thing for you to have said (laughs) (laughs) but I think this is just the beginning of your story Rebecca Humphreys oh boy thank you so much I've had such a lovely time Before you go, please follow Mad World on your podcast app to make sure you never miss an episode. And if you feel like it, leave us a rating and a review. I love to read what you think about the shows and also see your guest suggestions. Mad World is all about helping our listeners and I love hearing from you. The Telegraph also let me loose in column form. So if you'd like to hear even more from me, head to telegraph.co.uk forward slash madworld and you can get your first 30 days access to the website completely free. If you've been affected by anything we've talked about in our podcast today, the following organisations offer free and confidential support over the phone. 
The Samaritans can be reached 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 116123. Or you can contact the mental health charity Mind for advice on a range of mental health issues. Their phone number is 0300-123-3393. That's 0300-123-3393. They're accessible 9am to 5pm, Monday to Friday, excluding bank holidays. There's also Young Minds who provide support if you're a parent or a carer worried about a child's welfare. They're on 0808 802 5544. That's 0808 802 5544. If you prefer tech support, Shout is a 24-7 UK crisis tech service available for times when people feel they need immediate support. By texting Shout to 85258, you will be put in touch with a trained crisis volunteer who will chat to you via text. And importantly, please remember this. You are not alone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> <laughs> 